Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were true crime, history, and the paranormal me. Now, who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I apologize in advance. The audio interview starts weird and ends weird, but to explain, Brandon and Mustafa, stars of Amy's Ghost Hunters, graciously agreed to talk to me about their favorite locations they investigated on the show. And when we started talking, we didn't stop for almost two hours. So I've broken it down to about three episodes, which is why you don't hear me greet them or introduce them and why it ends rather suddenly. In this episode, we talk about Worley Hospital in Pampas, Texas. Worley opened in 1928 with 45 patient rooms and closed sometime in 1976. The hospital built by Phoebe Worley to meet a need in the community Unfortunately, when a newer hospital was built in the 1970s, Worley wasn't needed anymore. In 1920, Worley was purchased by two cousins, Chelsea and Luke, who planned to renovate the old building and open a bed and breakfast. But soon after they started reconstruction on the building, they noticed odd things happening and even found it difficult to hire any workers. They called ghost hunters who investigated and did research on the history of the building, which included the the story we talk about Mary Lucille Stanton Myers. Take a listen as we discuss their approach to investigations and what happened at Worley Hospital. Moving on, we're going to talk about the Worley Hospital next. And I found a newspaper article about Worley um, dated September 5th, 1975, titled Worley Hospital May Close. And in the article, someone is quoted as saying, where life prevailed over death. The hospital, completed in 1928, was built by Phoebe Worley after she had to travel a significant distance after being injured in a car accident. She felt like many did that Pampa, Texas needed another hospital. It ran from the time it was built in 1928 all the way until 1975 when funding and patients dwindled. The hospital sat abandoned for many years until cousins Chelsea and Luke purchased it to turn it into a bed and breakfast. But soon after taking possession of the building, Chelsea and Luke realized quickly that they were in over their heads with claims of shadow figures and feelings of being watched. Hiring contractors to help renovate the building became more difficult than they imagined. So although Worley Hospital was loved by everyone, including Phoebe Worley and the people of Gray County back in the 1930s, claiming that life prevailed over death, common sense tells a hospital probably dealt with its fair share of both, including that of a suicide of a nurse who worked in the hospital on March 26, 1946, Mary Lucille Stanton Myers, Staten Myers, Mary Lucille Staten Myers, is that correct? Staten Myers. Uh, Her maiden name was Staten? Yes. Uh, I'm pre- I'm, I, I can't. Oh, my God. It sounds so bad. But, like, yeah, I don't, I don't remember the exact. Uh, oh, well, I'll say Mary Lucille Myers. Yeah. On March 26, 1946, Mary Lucille Myers age 25, took her own life after a seven-hour negotiation with doctors in one of the hospital rooms. And when I say negotiation, I believe doctors and probably other nurses tried their hand at talking young Mary out of it. A newspaper article from the day from that day says that doctors Overton and Dr. Bellamy were at the hospital at the time that Mrs. Myers was reported to have locked herself in a room Early yesterday evening, her life was prolonged until about 2 a.m. through the efforts of the physician. It also states that she, that she was despondent over domestic affairs. So your experience at Worley Hospital, they 
initially the newspapers and the time talked about it being this amazing place that saved lives and we're celebrating lives. That's not what it looks like now, right? No, the, 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 the place is uh, pretty decrepit. Um, it's you go in, there's vandals who have gone in over the years. They've spray painted a bunch of like, you know, kind of like kids trying to be edgy, satanic imagery on the walls. Um, there's a bunch of dead birds just littered around the place when we were investigating it. It's covered in bird poop. I was afraid I was going to get like, you know, avian flu, like walking through it. But it definitely had a really interesting vibe. You know, the kind of stuff that as paranormal investigators, we loved it. Uh, visually, it was really great. But um, the feeling and the location was really was really something special. And then we also love the fact that, you know, there's there's no power to that building. There's no power to it at all. There's no contamination of the of any sort um you know you don't have any boilers going on you don't have any kind of heating systems ticking off so if you heard any noises it's either an animal someone in the building or um or what the hell is it there's no emf to speak of throughout the entire building uh so we were really really excited to to get a place that was truly 100 percent just like bare bones contained or interfere with any of your equipment no um, how were Chelsea and Luke? Were they reliable sources of information of the activities inside the building? I think, you know, the way my mind works every time I go into investigation is I, I just try to I'll interview people, I'll listen to what they say, I listen to their claims. Uh, and I always just kind of, I just kind of always distrust people. Maybe it's just an East Coast thing or, you know, or, where I'm from. But like, I always just kind of think like, all right, like these are your claims. I get maybe you believe them. Maybe you believe that it happened. But I always, especially when the the TV elements involved, I always tend to, I'm always kind of dubious as to like why people want to get their places investigated. But the, the location at the world, uh, at Worley Hospital, you know, in Pampa, is a really interesting history. It's a boom town. The hospital was built out of a very, very personal need. I mean, her Phoebe Ann Worley, who established the hospital, her husband died. And um, from all accounts, they had a really great relationship. They ran a farm together and she had kids to provide for. And they, they were lucky enough to have oil on their property and they were able to be successful and, and care for themselves. But she helped run that ranch right after he died and she wanted to build a hospital anyway had had a hospital been closer her husband may have uh, survived well so. same with her too i i read that she got in a car accident and had yep. to travel a significant distance so that was yep. one of her motivations also for building the hospital the hospital is built for an amazing reason and i'm sure there were celebrations of births there and people surviving so like the whole it doesn't have a dark dark history is basically what I was saying. I, I just don't, in general, the building doesn't have a dark history, but I've always been a believer. And I think someone said this in your episode too, that hospitals have high emotions. Mm-hmm. So things can be left behind in hospitals. Do you feel that way too? Yeah. I mean, uh, you think about a hospital, you know, it's a place of birth, sickness and death, you know, and you know, there's going to be a lot left behind in places like that. But I will say, you know, maybe the hospital as a whole didn't have a dark history, but the very specific story of Mary Lucille Myers uh, definitely left a stain on that building. 
in some capacity. And I think that that story within itself is, you know, the basis for the phenomena that is taking place at Worley Hospital. And that's something that, you know, was a very personal case for us, something that was yet another breakthrough when it came to understanding, uh, you know, the mechanics behind communicating and communication uh, and really approaching the investigation from a, a delicate standpoint and not just going into a place and letting those surroundings uh, in the state of Worley Hospital's condition today um, enhance or take us in a direction in the investigation that was really not the case. So we had to look at it from a very human standpoint, from a very personal standpoint, and I think we had some really great re- Well, you were very careful um, about bringing up her cause of death. Like when you kept, I noticed in the episode, and maybe I'm getting this because I've started reading your book and you guys talk about Mary Myers a lot in your book. You guys tended to be careful about your approach before you even determined that you were most likely talking to Mary. Right. Absolutely. And that's one thing that unfortunately you don't see a lot in this field, especially with the entertainment side of the paranormal genre is that people are just going to find a big spooky building and let their imaginations overrun and take it in a very dark direction when you're standing there in this decrepit former hospital with you know satanic satanic imagery all over the walls um it can go very dark very quickly and and turn that investigation uh but when we think about it from a purely human standpoint in the story of Mary Lucille Myers you have to approach that delicately and you have to approach that from uh, you know, a space of kindness and trying to understand what life was like for this person in this very weak moment that she had. And that's something we take a lot of pride in and something that I think that, you know, hopefully other people will model their research. For people who haven't watched the show, there was a portion of the episode at the hospital where you and Brandon were asking questions and getting responses and the equipment that you're using at, when you initially started doing that was the, what is it called? Where, um, EDI, like plus. You were using the one where it senses people around you. What is it? Like, uh, we have it in front of our house. You turn on light bulbs. Why am I can't? Motion. Oh, emo- emotion. You initially started with the motion detector and we're getting responses from that. But then you moved into other types of equipment during that conversation. Yeah, no. So, so, the the methodology i think really needs to be um stated and i'm glad you brought up the fact that we didn't jump the gun and immediately go to try to see if it was mary lucille myers and yeah her her name her maiden name is a state and i went back and checked the book Um, and i'm mad at myself because i went down a rabbit hole with her and did like all her ancestry and then i was like today when i was writing it down i was like oh shoot where did i leave that so thank yeah, you was, for doing that. Yeah, she was she was only twenty five. She had just recently been married when this happened. Yeah. So so we see a story like Mary's, and immediately that's the narrative that we want to go with. But when you go into an investigation, you have to start with a very wide net, and then you narrow it down. But night one of the investigation, Brandon and I are uh, investigating the first floor, and he captures uh, almost like errantly on his body camera, this uh, shadow figure. We kind of felt like that there was something watching us or there was someone who's kind of timid or 
tentative to interact, but there was somebody there. It always felt like it's just in the other room or it's just down the hall and we just couldn't really interact. And then Brandon has this amazing find on his uh, body camera. So then night two, we get all the teams in there and then Brandon and I are on the second floor. And uh, a lot of times in investigations, I would always kind of like, I think I'd see something and I just kind of be like, nah, like, you know, you don't want to look like a, like a dungo, just like going and running after stuff. It's, it's like a very kind of like, you know, shallow thing. But this time I, I, I'd sworn I'd seen something uh, to my left and I just said, you know what? I'm just going to go like, I'm just going to walk into the room, you know? And I, and I felt bad cause I was like, Brandon and I we were going down something and I kind of curbed that and I go into this room and holding the EDI plus, and we start detecting EMF. EMF starts going off on the EDI plus. Uh, and then we ask if there's anybody there, if, if, if someone is there, can you please interact with this device? We think that you just set this off. It goes off again. Okay. So we start going down that line of questioning until we finally get down to asking if somebody's there, if, you know, again, asking control questions, you know, asking like, you know, identity, like an identifier. Are you a woman? EMF goes off. Are you a man? It doesn't. Okay. We're going to ask you again. Are you a woman? Goes off. So we did that until we narrowed it down to basically, somebody who worked in the hospital and then their occupation. And then at that point, once it was like woman, Brandon and I kind of looked at each other. We're like, we know where we're going with this. We know the story of Mary. And uh, it, it almost, it was, it almost felt like it was like too good to be true. And I was just kind of like riding that high because it's like, here's this very intriguing story. And uh, we said to ourselves and Brandon said it like, I mean, we've had many conversations. It's like, if anybody's there, it's Mary. <laughs> like if anybody's there, it's Mary. And, um, yeah, we, we narrowed it down to it being a surgical nurse. Then we asked whoever was there to go up and interact with our friends. And it was, uh, Grant, Kristen and Rochelle who were on the third floor above us. Hey, you know, they have a similar device. Can you go and interact with them and their device? And they start getting stuff on their EDI. And then they, to quote, send Mary back down to us. And then that's when our motion detector started to go off. Oh, okay. The, the show condensed everything into, I think, like a minute and 40 seconds. Our interactions were probably what, Brandon, what would you say, like almost close to a half hour? Like yeah. 20, yeah, between 25 minutes to a half hour of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That yeah. conversation with Mary, the best sort of, like interaction you've ever had with anyone or just because you, you are absolutely, you're certain who it was. Is that what made it such a thing for you guys? The fact that your equipment was doing this or that it was, you could connect it with an actual live person who lived there and died there. Well, you know, first and foremost, I mean, we've had success with sessions very similar to what we had at Worley hospital and places like the Athenaeum in Indianapolis uh, we've had successful sessions like this in the past, but this is what the research is all about. It's not us going into a location. Oh yeah, it's haunted. Yeah. We don't know what's really happening, but we could say it's haunted. You know, we can't really do that. It all comes down to the basic fundamentals and methodology in the research. Right. And once we're able to actually start to collect data associated with this line of questioning is when we have something special. And that really is what happens at Worley hospital. Um, but no, it's not the first time we've had very pinpointed questions answered and really put a face to the possible, you know, haunting. 
Uh, that's something we strive for in every investigation because if we believe what we're dealing with is the boss, you know, possible life after death and uh, the consciousness of a person that's retained, uh, you know, after the person's physical body has died, um, that's something we're always striving for is to make it human, to make it, you know, real, to make it realistic. Um, but Worldly Hospital was something unbelievable. And once we started having these amazing uh, answers, you know, this back and forth and this line of questioning through the motion detector. So now not only do we begin that session with the EDI plus having these EMF hits uh, with the question and answers, which there shouldn't have been any, we did baseline sweeps of that entire building. There was no EMF at all. So how that was happening is, you know, interesting to begin with, but now we have a correlating device with the motion detector where now we're having multiple devices with this same question and answer session that, and that makes it that much more intriguing and special. And not only did we have the correlation with EDI plus the motion detector, uh, but we also were collecting significant EVP in response to our questions at the same time this motion detector was answering as well. Mm-hmm. I was hoping you would use the line from your book that I texted you where I said, I, I don't even have to read like another line. I, it's already my favorite book. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I don't have that on my phone right now, but I do remember. In your book, you said, join us as we connect history and science to uncover the elements of a haunting. And that, like what you're talking about with Mary is that you had scientific data that you were able to collect on equipment at the same time that you were basically exactly what you just said, connecting history with science is that you knew exactly who you were talking to that entire time. And so I don't know. I, I feel like out of all the episodes that I watched in this, uh, what we're talking about is not supposed to be about ghost hunters. It's supposed to be about the experience that you guys have had, the experiences that you guys have had. But I feel like watching all the episodes that I did, because I don't have any other frame of reference to see what other things you guys have done. That line in your book is defined in that moment. Do you agree? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it yeah, very much is. And, uh, you know, also, you know, in the book, we have those moments, you know, kind of peppered in throughout. But uh, this this moment was huge for, you know, our research. And you got to keep in mind, you know, when we go in and when we say, you know, connecting history with science to, you know, uncover the elements of a haunting, we're not kidding. You know, we have very much implemented, uh, you know, a strict methodology protocol standards. Uh, we follow these very, you know, you know regular, rigorously. You know, it's, you know, we follow this to the T and it's something that we, you know, very much believe in. Uh, it's based in scientific principle and, you know, with our interactions with scientists, medical doctors, engineers. And when we see that practice, you know, you know, unfolding in front of our own eyes, that's when things start to become, you know, very special. And we start to have factual research. It's not just going into a place to have a thrill ride or an adrenaline rush. We're actually doing real you know, hard science. And that's, you know. Do you feel that you, that Mary is still in that building? Like you guys don't go into a building to clear the building or to solve what's happening. So do you feel like Mary's still there? And do you feel like she was in, in all the, and I haven't read all of your book yet. I'll be totally honest. I haven't had a second to read all of it, but there's different, hauntings 
whether they're residual or they're intelligent, Mary would be classified as an intelligent haunting, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I mean, especially the EVP, the, there was a couple, but the one that was really distinct was our motion detector, the way Brandon brought these like really great simple motion detector lights. Can't really mess with them. If you're close to one and you key a walkie-talkie off, I think it's within what, like six feet of one and you key it like then, you know, it'll go off. But we're there far away from the motion detector. You know, we're there giving it space and the motion detector light stays on. And the only way that light's going to stay on is if something's in front of it. And she so said, oh, somebody, right? Yeah. And then we asked like, Hey, I'm like, Oh, Mary, did you, if you mind, could you, could you step away from this motion light? And then, you know, um, you know, and step back in front of it when you want to answer yes. And then we go back to review the audio. I'll never forget it. Like Brandon called me. It was like 3 a.m. He's like, dude, you got to come to my room. And I'm like running down, like, you know, and I'm like, what, what, what? And he's like, plays it for me. And you hear after we ask her, hey, do you mind stepping away? You hear a woman's voice go, oh, sorry. Aww. And it was, it was, yeah, just like that. It was kind of like heartbreaking, but also just, uh, and fascinating and incredible. Um, yeah. And then the question and answer session went on so much longer after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, it's amazing. Yeah, Would you and, and classify just, that yeah. as like your most personal experience when you were doing all these episodes? Mm, that's tough. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of it's like, again, just, just to, to repeat what Brandon was saying, it's it's about the work, you know, that enthusiasm. Obviously, we all have emotions that go through us when we're doing things, especially when you're on like a huge production of a show. You can't really cut that out. You know, you can't really excise those things. So it's like, well, how do you rise above all of these really shallow human emotions and things that are getting that it could potentially get in the way of your investigation, you know? And I think the if you're holding on to your horses, so to speak, of What's the methodology? What's the work? Those emotions will come with you. So to call it the most personal, I don't know, uh, but to, it's up there for me. I mean, it was it was really great. And then even after the show, I mean, we we're doing press for Ghost Hunters for the debut, and we're out on a yacht in Manhattan. And then Kaylin Headley, uh, who's one of our production uh, producers on the show, she texts us a photo. And um, we, we didn't know what Mary looked like at all. We, we had no idea. And uh, we got a photo of her. She's like, yeah, we ended up finding, you know, a photo of her in a school. And the circumstances surrounding how she found the photo was absolutely insane. And it was incredible. So we to see a face to this person, it was it was really cool. But, yeah, you know, you're saying stuff about, like, clearing spirits and stuff. I, I, I think a lot of that talk that people have. You know, I hear some people saying, like, I'm helping these spirits cross over. Right. And I just immediately, like, want to puke. I'm like, how? Really? How, okay, how, so you're not against it. Okay. It's not that I'm against it. It's just I think it's so horribly presumptuous to sit there and think you know what an afterlife looks like or what the, the like, these belief systems about helping people cross. Like, what does that even mean to help someone cross over? Like, where, where do you have any evidence for like what that even is well what is this like beetlejuice where it's like oh you die by the sandworms and then you go into like another room like like what what are you like what what are you talking about what is that is to cross over you know i I don't know not just yeah yeah not just that you know i mean you, you have to look at it from the point of view and i know you're asking if it's a very personal case 
But here's the thing, you know, and this is from my point of view and what I think we will never know the emotions, the things that Mary Lucille Myers went through in that moment. And right. to the point where she took her own life, we will never know that. We will never understand that. We cannot, we can't, you know, we can't understand that in any way, shape or form. So for us to go in there and say, oh, we know how you feel. We know what was going on. Now we're going to help you cross over. I don't think it's that easy. I really don't. And if we're looking at this again from the point of view of, of a consciousness that's retained after death, and that's what we're dealing with in these places, I think it would, it's just, it's kind of egotistical to go right. into a location and say, oh, no, I understand. Now let me help you. No, I don't right. think it's. Yeah, I think some of our best interactions, uh, and the, our biggest breakthroughs have come from admitting, like, we don't know what the hell you went through at all. And you don't even have to like talk to us, but like we're here to document your presence. That's why we're here. So I think the more you go after that honesty and you have an honest need to get something done, which for us, it's, it's the work and expanding the methodology, um, that truth, that sound like a hippie, but whatever, but like that truth resonates, I think with whoever's there. And, um, if it's an intelligent entity, I guess they have no choice but to respect it. You know, and then that's what makes them want to interact. It's a level of genuineness and sincerity that we, that we strive for. You know, right. I feel like it's, for me, it's very hard to be genuine and sincere all the time, and I and I really try. So, like that's that's I remember like Grant was saying something to me on the show, and like you know, Brandon and I were getting a lot of great interactions, and he's like, and he was like kind of like fascinated by that, and he's like talking to us. He's like, wow, so it's like it's like so like what is it like? What are you guys doing? And I was just like, I'm just you know. You know, I started talking about the case. He's like, oh, so you care. I'm like, it's not even that. It's like, I'm really, really trying to care. Like, I'm really trying to fight more to care more. And I think that's what it is. And it's like, life's all about that fight, you know? And I think if you're going in there and you're fighting to care or you're fighting for something good, quote unquote, whatever that is for you, uh, that's going to resonate. And you think that might be the reason why you two are more successful at connecting with people in different locations. Ooh, I, I don't know if that's, you know, the, yeah. the, the exact. I have to say, if, if I can say anything, yeah. watching the show, you two come off as the most genuinely excited. And I don't know what other word to use for it, but when you capture something or you get a response, you two every time are like, the first time it's ever happened. Like you're like, this is big, this is huge. And maybe that's the sense that these entities are getting is that these guys really want to talk to us. And if we respond, we, they get, they're happy for that. Like where everyone else is kind of like, Oh, this is cool. This is cool. This is great. You guys generally come off as this is the best thing that's ever happened. We we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. And I think yeah. that maybe that might play a difference in it too, just an opinion. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. And I think that, you know, us in this situation, you know, first and foremost, you know, really being honest about our intentions, you know, it, to these possible entities and, and to these environments and us walking and saying, hey, this is what we're here to do. This is what we're going to do. We would love to speak with you and, you know, learn your story learn about you. And that's, I think that helps. And I think it goes a long way. And I, I, you know, to talk about, you know, we talked about the Athenaeum a little bit and how we had, you know, very similar interactions with putting a, a face and history to the activity 
Uh, we did that as well at the Worley Hospital, but we also did that at the Glen House in Cape Girardeau, where we walked yeah. in and we really pinpointed that one. And and it, it is such an amazing thing to do when it comes to you know the field and this type of research is to walk in, like you said, connecting history with science and to really have something that's legitimate to really have factual data and empirical evidence and to really understand that, Hey, look, this, these are the people that we're most likely dealing with here. And this is that story. And this is where it falls within, you know, our methodology protocol and classification system. And again, it's just. And Worley hospital was just kind of the place where it all came together for sure. Like as far as, I mean, I wouldn't say more than every other episode, but I think that was the one where everything kind of just came together perfectly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it didn't seem like that at first. <laughs> and then like, you know, that's, that's, I think our best case to start. It's kind of always like, Oh, what's going on? What's going on? I don't know. I don't know. Ooh, very unsure. And then all of a sudden it's just like, you know, you, 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 you know, doubling down on, you know, your intention to just make a situation work and not uh, not take yourself seriously, but you take the situation seriously. And that's that's what we strive for every time. It's sometimes hard to not get lost in the excitement of potentially speaking to someone on the other side. But it's important to remember if there is an afterlife and we can still talk to them, respect for their feelings and about the way they died should be the first on the minds of any investigator. Remember, life can be cruel. Don't take part in making the afterlife cruel to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, links to our Patreon page, and all of our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. Remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.